Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1119, with guest Scott Hunter. Recorded Thursday, March 26th, 2015. And here we are again. It's Carl Franklin. And Richard Campbell. For another hour of .NET Rocks. Scott Hunter is here. I'm very excited about this show, Richard. Uh, absolutely, man. It's, uh, it's exciting times in technology. And uh, apologize for the state of my voice. I'm just getting over a cold. Apparently, the whole country has had a cold for the last two weeks, and, and I'm going through my, my part of it. Awesome. So. I have managed to strain my back just a bit. Well... It's the infirm show, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Yes, it is. Uh, ask me how I strained my back. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm game. How? I uh, scored my 34-inch curved LG monitor with the 3840 by 1440 display and just, ah. you know, stretched a little too far over the desk holding heavy things, and there you go. But let me tell you, that monitor is epic. It's crazy. Now, tell us the specs again. Um. 3440 by 1440 display, so 21 by 9 ratio. It is intensely wide, and it's just okay. a little curve. It's it's subtly curved. Uh, I I don't know that it's worth the extra money for the curve. In, you know, in the end, it's not as curved as you think. You'd probably need 50 of them to have them go all the way around you with this slight curve in it. So, and and it's 44 inches. You said 34, 34 in the diagonal. 34. But remember, it's. It's 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 twenty one by nine, so it's literally like movie screen wide. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. It's a weird monitor. It's something else. All right. Well, I got something weird for you. Awesome for today's better know framework. So let's roll that funky music. All right, buddy. What do you got? Well, Richard, I moseyed over to waycoolgadgets.com. Great and name. I thought I would find, yeah, it's a, you know, it's just what you'd think it was. It's the, <laughs> it's the, it's the borderline sky mall of geek toys, uh, on the, on the web. But they had some really cool things and, and some that I wish I had, uh, showed everybody during the wintertime because there's like GPS ski goggles. Really? All right. With the heads up display of GPS yep. in the goggles as you're skiing. But it's kind of too late for that now, so we're getting into spring. So I found the human bowling ball. A human bowling ball? All right, I'll explain. Go to tinyurl.com slash human BBB, three Bs, because two Bs was already taken. Ha! Human, <laughs> human BBB. Probably points to the same damn thing. Um, so, all right, so to read from the website... It, it, it's a huge lawn-sized bowling alley with enormous pins. The the sides of the uh, of the bowling alley are inflatable. Uh, you know, what am I trying to say? Well, let me let me. I've seen a ball like this before. This looks like the Zorbing out of New Zealand. It's like a hamster ball for humans. Yeah, it's an inflatable three-foot-high lane boundary. 
that stays constantly inflated to an optimal firmness, and the bowler stands inside an inflatable transparent PVC ball that, when inflated, is seven feet in diameter. It's sealed shut with a zipper, and you got to run f- forwards towards the pins, gaining momentum as they go try. <laughs> gaining momentum as you try to knock over the six five-foot-tall foam pins. Is that the craziest thing you've ever seen? I love it. That's hilarious. Yeah, human so, hamster know. ball. I like a good hamster ball. Yeah, convincing. You know, so this is the kind of thing that the the it sh- the picture shows them playing in daylight. I kind of think you have to be drinking all day to get to this point. In your- <laughs> it's going to be nighttime before anybody gets into this ball. Yeah. So I would have liked to have seen some LED lights all over this thing so that we can see where. <laughs> <laughs> how much? Oh, how much? $4,500. There's a hobby for you. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like something I would rent for a party. Absolutely. You might actually yeah. get be, be able to have a little side business renting it out for parties. Yeah. Don't know how much you could charge that you could make back that $4,500, but... Uh, uh, well, probably a fair bit. You know, it's going to take some wear and tear, too. But this beats the heck out of a bouncy castle. <laughs> well, for some people, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Richard, that's the silliness for today. What do you got? Who's talking to us? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1104. And that's the one we we did with Michelle Larue Bustamante. We were talking about Azure, and a uh, bit of a long yep. comment, but I wanted to read it. I think it's worthy from Ali, who says, uh, "Unfortunately, Michelle glossed over a few of the missing features in Azure websites versus Azure Web Roles." Uh, the point seemed to be missed by many, including Michelle, is the fact that Azure Websites has been created as a least common denominator among different platforms, including .NET, Ruby, Python, and so on abstracting the OS and many of its features. As such, it does not and cannot give you the wealth of underlying platform features. Basically, it is ideal for low-complexity websites and not web applications. Having built Azure projects serving millions of customers, I can tell you what is missing from Azure websites. And I want to say I don't necessarily agree with him, but listen to this list and see if you see a common theme. Okay. Uh, No platform-dependent performance counters. Azure websites come with a handful of common denominator uh, performance counters, including CPU, memory usage, and so on, but it does not allow for capturing other crucial counters, such as garbage collection time, thread count, etc. Two, inability to use custom performance counters. There is no support for custom performance counters. This is pretty much a showstopper since we cannot use our current performance counters, which allowed us to find, for example, the 90th percentile of a product API query. Yeah. No access to events uh, for Windows, so our logging will not work. Inability to run startup tasks that can be useful, such as the SP.NET auto config and some thread heavy applications. No RDP. And memory dumps can be generated through the API, but cannot access the SOS DLL or MSC or DOCS uh, DLL used to analyze the dump. And uh, logging with event ID cannot be wired up as SCOM since we cannot use Windows events logged for logging. See any common themes there, dude? <laughs> yeah. So clearly, Ali has built some seriously advanced software, and he's gone all in around ETW and perf counters and is finding his code won't run in Azure websites. And I would be kind of surprised if his code ran in Azure web roles, too, because that seems unlikely also. But it does speak to, I think, a bigger overall issue, which is that the logging instrumentation is going to be different in Azure. And uh, you're going to have to figure out how to do it. Although the ETW thing, because it really is a best practice, it's sort of a standard way of going about things, that we're going to have to pay more attention to. Indeed. 
So, uh, Allie, totally get you. Uh, obviously, Azure is still a work in progress, and I'm um, hoping we'll learn more today about how we can deal with some of those things. Uh, .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our guest. Scott Hunter is Director of Program Management on the App Plat team. His team is is .NET on the server, ASP.NET, WCF, Entity Framework, also Visual Studio Web Tooling, NuGet, Azure SDKs, Azure Redis Cache, and Azure API Management. Welcome, Scott. Hey, how's it going, guys? Great to have you back, sir. You the man. Seems like it's been been a while, but it's not really been that long, I don't think. I think a couple yeah, months. Yeah, it was August of last year. Wow. Well, you guys have been up to a lot. <laughs> we move at a cloud pace now, so. So we're working along, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden, Scott Guthrie sends us another, hey, guess what we've been doing? And you guys seem to have like new features every week over on the Azure side. But this one happened uh, on March 24th, the Azure App Service. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so Azure App Service, which we just, as you said, we it came out on Tuesday. Um, part of it's in GA, part of it's in preview. Um it basically was a, a result of us looking at our business and we're like, we had uh, a bunch of, of different uh, services. We had websites, Azure websites for, for hosting your web web apps. We had Azure uh, mobile service for building mobile backends for your clients, uh, you know, be it a phone, tablet, uh, or e- even honestly, a desktop could, could use it as well. We had BizTalk services for doing some orchestration of stuff. And the reality is all of these things, when you think about it, they kind of overlap in. Sure. Right. You know, I would, I would challenge you that you could use a website to build a mobile backend. You sure. So how do you make the choice between web, you know, website, mobile service? When, when, when do you do that and where and why? Um, and the same thing is, you know, we have, uh, the BizTalk services, which have a lot of, a lot of great capabilities. Um, but maybe in their current form are harder to consume than they should be. Uh, and so what we kind of thought of is, um, and I'll tell you a funny story as well. And I'll, I want to see if it resonates with you guys. Um, okay. It's, it's, it, the, the question that you guys had from the, from the, the previous show um, kind of hit this, a little, hits, hits this a little bit, but we had, we had people that would come to us and go, um, Oh, you have Azure websites. Um, well, I don't want to build a website. I'm going to build a mobile app. Right. Yeah. Right. And 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 it feels weird. You're like, is the is the product name wrong? Because you know, technically, a website just means, hey, any content content hosted on a web server that can that can serve APIs, it can serve static files, it can serve server generated, uh, you know, text. I mean, any of those things. You're really just talking about a service that you speak to with HTTP or HTTPS. Yeah. Right. Um. But 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 people took the website name really hardcore too strong sometimes and said, oh, I don't want to build a static website. Right. And and so it kind of led us to to the point of saying the other challenge thing about having, you know, websites and mobile services and biz talk services is that makes the pricing conversation kind of complicated because as you start saying, hey, maybe I want to do some web, then I want to add some mobile, I want to add some orchestration. Well, then your pricing is all screwed up because you've got three different services with three different pricing models and, and your brain implodes and you don't know what to do. 
Well, and immediately because it's like I have to buy this service and this service and this service, it feels expensive, even if it isn't. Right. And 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 so part of the goal with uh, App Service, which we just announced on Tuesday, was to basically take all those products and put them together under one umbrella and under one pricing scheme, um, kind of simplifying the entire world. Hey, if you're building an app, be it a mobile app, a web app, um, and or even doing some orchestration. All these things kind of go in building, you know, that's where the term app service came from, which is, hey, here's all the services that we think most commonly you would use to build an app. Right. Um, and so we threw them under one umbrella. And that includes um, websites, because now I look at it and go, can I do a website there? Right. So we, we took Azure websites and we rebranded it to Azure web apps. Right. All right. Under app service. So app service is made up of, you can do web apps, you can do mobile apps, you can do logic apps, and you can do API apps. So there's four app types. And once you're in app service, one price, you can build any of those types of applications, web, mobile, logic, or API, under one unified pricing and, and one, one unified brand in Azure. So, Scott, the question for me is, is the experience of building these things the same? Or, you know, am I using the same tools and the same dashboard, et cetera, to to build the stuff that I did before that I'm familiar with, or is there some sort of new um, new way to do this that uh, puts everything under one dashboard? Yeah, so let's talk about that. So let's talk let's talk about websites first, which now became web apps. Right. Um, if you have a Azure website today, or you had one on Tuesday, it is now it it now magically became a web app, and if you go to the portal. Nothing has changed at all. Your your dashboard will look exactly the same. The feature sets that, that sit under that under look exactly the same. There's no work for you to do. You didn't lose any functionality, um, nor will you lose any functionality in the future. And so that's the first thing is we want to make sure as people understand, if you had an Azure website on Tuesday, you still have an Azure website today. It's just been called, renamed a web app. And the only place in the portal that you probably would see the change, if you want to go create a new one, now, instead of saying, you know, new website, there'll be a new web app. So I see. website's the yeah, easiest one to right explain. Web, website's the easiest one to explain away because nothing changed at all. Now, Except let's move to the next one. Let's talk about mobile apps. Now, this, this was a service that we, we, uh, today call mobile service. And you will still find mobile service. If you, if you have a mobile service based application, if you go to the portal, it will still be there as a mobile service, just like it was before. Um, we don't we don't want to break you at all, um, and that that product is still exactly the same as it was before. Moving forward, we would prefer for you to build a mobile app instead of a mobile service. And let me explain the main difference between a mobile app and a mobile service. When we started doing mobile service, uh, uh, roughly a year ago or a year and a half ago. Um, it was kind of built as an independent service. And the negative of being built as an independent service was every time the, uh, it, it's basically built, on, it's backend runs on the website or now the web app platform. Every time the web app team added a new functionality like auto scale or uh, backups or anything else, mm -hmm. the mobile service team had to go add that same capability to their product. Right. And so, Mm, that's not actually really good. If we could just say that that mobile apps, 
run on the same back end as web apps, basically the same back end as all of app service, then all of those capabilities float all the way up. And so one of the noti- one of the things that, that a customer will notice if they build a mobile app is they will notice that if they go to the portal, there'll be a link that will take them to the host of their mobile app. And that is basically the Azure web app running behind the scenes that manage or container that, that, that your app runs in. And from that, you'll see every single website feature or web app feature that exists. You'll see the, the backups. You'll see the continuous deployment. You'll see the auto scale. You'll see the hybrid connections. Every one of those capabilities is sitting right there for you to use uh, day one. Another negative of mobile service that, that we're removing with mobile app is, as I was saying before, when we had these these independent services, let's say you decided, hey, you know, I'm going to write an ASP.NET Web API application. I'm going to host it in an Azure website. And then you said, man, there's a couple of features. I, I want the uh, push notification feature uh, or one of the other features that exists in in mobile service. Well, how do you change? How do you how do you use that 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 new that that, that capability? Well, in the old world, you went and created a mobile service, and you went and pasted all your existing code into a mobile service. So it didn't have a very good upgrade story from moving between. Hey, you know, as I said, in app service, if you want to build a mobile app, a web app, whatever, um, it's very easy to move transparently between each of those things because they're all technically the same kind of thing, and so. A big feature mobile app is you can start off running a ASP.NET Web API and decide that you want to go add the some of the mobile capabilities. Well, they're now all a cart. You can basically just go to go to the portal. You can add what we call an API app to this, and you can add the API app for mobile service. And as soon as you do, or our, our mobile app now, and as soon as you do, you have all the capabilities of of mobile app on on in your existing web app. Nice. So it's a much smoother transition story. So basically, you've uh, removed a lot of friction, made a lot of these things, kept them the same exact price, and in many cases, uh, adding adding things that for free that would normally have cost extra services. We actually lowered the price, so <laughs> which is not normal for Microsoft, I will say. Normally, you know, you bundle stuff together and you raise the price. In our case, we bundled stuff together and lowered the price. Huh. So if you if you have a web app and a mobile app today, if you decide to, to move those in and, and say now you have a, uh, you know, web app and a mobile app and a app service, your pricing will be lower. And how does one do that exactly? How does one say, I want to pick these things and now combine them into an app service? Well, app, app service is, is technically, as long as you're using the newer types, you are an app service. So if you're, if you're, if you create a mobile app, a web app, a logic app, or an API app, you're technically in the app service space. The only conversion process today would be if you have a mobile service, um, you would have to migrate your mobile service to, uh, to be a mobile app. And that would, that, that today is a manual, manual process. So at the portal, and I guess I'm using the old portal, manage.windowsazure.com, I see web apps. That name has changed, but I still see mobile services. I still see BizTalk services. That, I that's don't right. See, you, you will only see the, yeah. the all the app service stuff is only in the new Abiza portal. So you have okay. to go to port. You have to go to portal.azure.com uh, to see to see these capabilities. And if you go to portal portal.azure.com and log in. I'm going to do it right here. 
you will be able to see all the new capabilities. I got you. What you'll do is you'll hit the plus button in the bottom left of the screen in the, in the portal. That brings up the new items. And from the new items, you can click Web Plus Mobile. And as soon as you do, you'll see Web App, Mobile App, Logic App, and API App. And API Management and Notification Hub. Yeah, okay. Yep. And, and another cool, well, let's talk about API apps, and I'll show you another cool thing here. Is, is if, if you're in the portal, go back to the homepage, click on the Marketplace, and click API apps. When you do that, you're going to see a whole bunch of, of connectors. You're going to see, uh, I'm looking at the screen here, SharePoint Server Connector, Salesforce Connector, Twitter Connector, Dropbox Connector, Facebook Connector, Yammer. There's a whole pile of these Twilio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, the, the thinking here is um, we know that every every everybody uses APIs. You know, APIs are everywhere. And we have a new type in Azure called API apps. And API apps are, are kind of hard to, to describe in some ways because there's there's two forms of API apps. One is the consumption, and then one is the creation. That marketplace in the portal is showing the the creation factor. Um, and and uh, to explain that, I might want to jump to Logic Apps as well. So Logic Apps, um, it, it, a great example of Logic App, and, and this is a scenario that we actually wrote a demo on that we showed on Tuesday. I've got a legacy web application. And what I mean by that is I wrote it four or five years ago, and customer comes to the site, they fill in some customer information, they press save, and that data is saved to a SQL database. And then fast forward to a couple of years down the road, and I am now managing all of my, my customers in Salesforce. So I, I have two options at this point. One option would be I can go, you know, try to find the developer that worked on that first website, um, or I can go take one of my existing developers and say, go try to figure out the website, and let's go change it instead of writing it to the SQL database, let's write it to Salesforce. Or I can write what we call a logic app. And a logic app is where those, where all those connectors come into play. So a logic app is, is technically, um, I'm going to butcher this a little bit because I'm not a BizTalk guy. No, but, but to me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lighter weight version of like some of the BizTalk capabilities. Um, yeah, so a thousand BizTalk people all screamed out in horror. <laughs> they probably are at me. And I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm probably butchering it, but it is really simple. You can go to the Azure portal, you click new logic app. And, and in this case, what I might say is I might say, Hey, you know, every, every five minutes I, or, or, or whatever interval I want to choose, I want to run an action. And then I go and I say, for my next action, I, I go look at a list of what we call API apps. And a variety of those are those, those connectors that we just saw in the marketplace. There's ones for SQL. There's ones for Twilio. There's one for Salesforce, Office 365, Oracle, a ton of, of both. SaaS and enterprise, you know, software offerings are there. And these are pretty powerful. I can, I can go and say, Hey, every, every 10 minutes, go, go run my next card. And for my next card, I'm going to write a, a SQL card. And what my SQL card is going to basically do is it's going to say, Hey, every time, um, you run, run this query to see if there's any work to do. And so in my case, I run a query to say, Hey, did anybody add any new data? To that, uh, that customer database, that SQL database. Ah, if, if, if it runs and says, yes, I found some data, 
then I can write another SQL query, which returns the, the data that I care about from that. So that's one step of it. Then I add another card, which is the Salesforce card. And I basically say, take the data that came from the previous card and use that to either create a new record in Salesforce or update the existing record in Salesforce. And so in the, in the notion of it takes about five, five minutes to do this or less than five minutes to do this. I, I create a logic app. I add my interval. I add my SQL connector. I add my Salesforce connector. Wow. I've, I've now said every time somebody goes and puts a record in the old system, grab that data and stick it in Salesforce. I didn't have to go find is- the developer that r- worked on that existing, that, that existing application. I'm able to modify that workflow without changing anything at all. Um, and so, yeah, that's cool. You uh, are very, the bra, you are the mashup management tool. Yes. <laughs> and then in the demo we did on Tuesday, we took it a step, we took it a step further. We then threw in a Twilio card and said, Hey, after, after all that happens, we're going to, we're going to text the customer or text the uh, service department and tell them, Hey, we just added a new record. Maybe you should go take a look at this and, and call the customer. This is stuff that I did in a web job. Just last month, um, you know, a, a, a web job uh, attached to a website that runs uh, on an interval and checks in the database for new orders. And, and anytime I get a new order, sends me a text. How many lines of code was that? That kind of thing. Uh, it was just a few, but yeah, I know I get what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not defending that this is, you know, you could just do a web job because I see the difference. I had to write all that code myself. I had to get the Twilio API handle and all the syntax for sending a text. And I had to go to the database and pull stuff out. And, 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 and I get that the API connector just lets you do that. It does. One of the cooler things is we were thinking about the same thing when we were doing that demo. We we're like, Hey, we can just write a web job for this. And, and we right. threw in one, one additional thing in our, uh, our workflow that, uh, made it much harder to do in the web job than it was able to do in the logic app. And so the next, the next step was, um, as part of this demo that we did is at some point the service technician has a mobile app and they, they say, Hey, we're done working on the car. And when that happens, we trigger a text message to the customer telling the customer, Hey, your car's ready. Come get your car. Now, the fun part here is then we put another card in the workflow that says, wait two weeks and then send an email using the SMTP connector. And your your send email says, thank you for having your car serviced at blah, blah, blah. Uh, please let us know if uh, you're happy with you know the service you, you, you received. Um, putting a two-week delay in, in, in your code is challenging. I mean, yeah. if you're writing a web job, what you would do is you would have a date timestamp somewhere that you stick in a database and then you'd pull that on a regular basis and say, Hey, any records that are greater than, you know, X number of days react on these. Um, but in the workflow designer, man, super simple. You just say, Hey, just wait two weeks. Um, yeah. So those are, those you, are when you out. said just wait two weeks. I'm like, wait a second. Wait <laughs> two weeks is hard. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. You know it. It's time to write an API app that texts me whenever a listener laughs at one of my jokes. <laughs> Scott Hunter! <laughs> Scott Hunter, this <laughs> shit doesn't work! 
What's wrong? I haven't gotten any text, man. <laughs> if a workflow never gets invoked, is it really a workflow? <laughs> actually, it's actually it's time to give away a music to code by CD and DVD set. Three 25-minute quiet and groovy instrumentals designed to get you into a state of flow and keep you there. Let's see what all the fuss is about. .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with music to code by. Check it out at MTCB. .pwop.com. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Mark Robinson from the UK. Ah, congratulations, Mark. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Mark just won uh, Music to Code by. I, I'm, I'm still a little stunned at how much people are claiming this works for them. I, I really just can't believe it. Um, people are. I feel you like you've really just put a focus, no pun intended, on intentional uh, move to flow. Yeah, I I found yeah. I, I somebody my dentist told me. No, my dentist has it on when the dental hygienists are doing cleaning and stuff, and they say it's just like it gets them in the zone. That's Normally, really they true. have the TV on in at my dentist. You know, they, they have a little TV right in front of you so you can, like, watch the news. What could be more stress-inductive than watching the news while somebody's in your mouth with a sharp instrument? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Metal things poking uh, in your mouth and airplanes are crashing. And the world is right. on fire. Well, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we like to ask our guests, Scott Hunter, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today... What would you buy? And the human bowling ball is off the off the table. <laughs> <laughs> but in the price range. I, in the I price range. But do you oh, really yeah? want an Apple Watch? Yep. Cool. I would, I, I would at least try one out. You're going to need an Apple phone too, right? I already have an Apple phone. Okay. There you go. You just you want to know. You don't have a band? Because I just saw the announcement that the SDK for iOS for the band came out. I have a Fitbit. Okay. Um, so I've, I've been using a Fitbit for the last couple of years. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny, the, the watch, people, people are polarized on the watch. And, yes. uh, I think the way that I look at the watch is I'm already wearing a band. I, I would, I would, I would actually call my band not attractive today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really care about what the, the functionality of the, of the device. I, I, mm-hmm. I want the fitness capability that, I, that my, my current band produces. Right. If I get that in a sexier form factor, um, I think that's, I, I think the, the Apple Watch is more about fashion and yeah. than it is about, hey, what can it do? How does it make you, how do, do I need, does it make my phone better? I, I, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. It's like, okay, I'm wearing a crappy plastic thing on my arm today. You know, you've also made me think of something else, which is when the iPhone came out, the idea of the glass phone was a novel idea. I mean, now it's everywhere is everybody's copied it, but one could argue, back in 2006, Apple made the first really beautiful phone, mm-hmm. and it changed the whole marketplace. We just take it for granted today that that's how phones are supposed to look, but it was a profound thing at the time. It, There's another thing going on here. It's funny now how 
generic it's become. It, when 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 Steve got on stage back in uh, 2007 or whatever it was, it was it was funny because he was showing all these plastic phones. Yes. Well, now every phone's a black slab. Yes. The black so we, glass slab with the metal trim. You know, that's the way phones are supposed to look. I'll tell you something else weird that's going on here, which is my friends uh, look at me with my iPhone and my iPad and my MacBook, right? And they say, hey, I thought you were a Windows guy, as if, like, I'm betraying the company, you know? Like, I don't even work for Microsoft, first of all. Second of (laughs) all, lots of people at Microsoft have Apple products and they love them. And, And this isn't unnormal you know it's abnormal based on the past you know based on what vibes people got because they were loyal to their brand or whatever but but man this is today it's just a different world we all have devices from all kinds of manufacturers even satya right has an iphone doesn't he i'm not sure what satya has but 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 I, i think that there's a profound difference in microsoft today which is if you look at microsoft of you know a couple 10 years ago Microsoft today is about having our software work on every platform. Right. Right. Whether you have Android, whether you have iOS, whether you have Mac, whether you have Windows, our, you know, Skype, Office, you know, all of it works everywhere. Um, and so you can interchangeably move between all these devices and Microsoft products work across the board. I mean, I'm doing the same thing, you know, with the effort my team is doing with ASP.NET 5 and .NET Core 5. Um, I'm likely to be traveling with a Mac just because I want to be able to show that I can run ASP.NET, you know, on on Mac. Scott, so, I would argue even one step further that Microsoft has always been about trying to run on every platform. And even the Silverlight initiative was about trying to run on every platform. It was Apple that said no plugins, you know, no Silverlight on no Silverlight on the iPhone. And and that was the, okay, now we have to come up with some other way to get everywhere. The focus went to HTML, and now Xamarin comes along and says, no, we can run C-sharp and put it on an iPhone, and Microsoft embraces it. So I don't think, I think Microsoft has always wanted to run everywhere and tried to run everywhere on every device. It's it's other other situations in the marketplace that prevented that. So, but I do, I think that the serious profound change is just the, the, uh, the, the, the getting rid of the whole Apple is evil. Google is evil. You know, we'll, we'll partner with them. We'll run on their stuff. We will use their stuff and we won't feel like traders. You know, we'll embrace what the rest of the world is using. Well, it the outcome of it all is, is amazing. I mean, even at work here, I can put down in my PC, move to a, a, a web browser and pick up editing the same document. I can then put the web browser down, move to an iPad and edit the same document and then go back to the PC and they're all synchronized. It's a, it's a spectacular, huh, it's a spectacular workflow. You just move between whatever device. Yes, it is awesome. And the, well, and I think it speaks to what the future really looks like, which is compute is everywhere and your identity and data just follow you from place to place. And this Azure, uh, service, app services is just a, a great way to, uh, a great example of Microsoft just saying, all right, it doesn't matter what you want to do, where you want to run. We're putting it all under one, one roof. Yep. One umbrella. Yeah. This list of API connectors is pretty stunning. Box, chatter, QuickBooks, Salesforce, 
And it's a, it, there's a bunch of Microsoft product in there, but it's a bunch of non-Microsoft product in there too. Yeah, the, the goal was to have a lot of SaaS and enterprise products outside of Microsoft products because we assume that people today are moving data back and forth between all these platforms. Right. And uh, that's that's kind of the goal is is we, w- we want app service to be kind of the glue that lets you plug. You know, if you happen to have, you know, a SaaS and you've got some Microsoft Office 365, for example, and you want to wire those together, we think app service is a, is a great way to, to, to do that. We haven't talked about the, the final app type, which is API app. So how much code am I now needing to write to glue these pieces together? Like, is this more declarative than it is? Cause I'm used to writing this code. Like I live with a lot of this code. Getting rid of it would make me happy. How shallow, how simple is it? So if you write a logic app, it's, it's pretty much getting rid of the code. You're just writing some, some, uh, some glue. And there's a visual designer in the portal for writing a logic app. But in that, in that visual designer, you can also click down to a, to source code. And in source code, basically all it is, is it's a JSON format of actions, you know, one after another, uh, tied together. So it means that if, if there's something the portal doesn't let you do because the designer's not rich enough, you can always drop down and, and get into the actual underlying JSON behind uh, the, the workflow. So almost an if then if this then that kind of thing, but you can yeah. get to the code if you have to. Exactly. Awesome. Now we also want to make those same connectors pretty simple to call from, uh, you know, regular code, whether it be .NET, Java, Node, whatever, as mm-hmm. well. And so another goal of the platform is to make calling what we call API apps or those connectors you see in the marketplace super super simple. So. So a great example of this is let's think of like like uh, the Twitter one. Mm-hmm. So let's say you want to you know you go create the Twitter API app, and then you decide in your .NET code you want to go and call that app. Traditionally, you know, talking to something like Twitter requires OAuth handshakes and all that kind of stuff, and that's another another aspect of the platform. The platform um, pushes that away for you. So um, all I've got to do to, to call that that uh, Twitter connector is I have to be able to authenticate to what we call our gateway. Um, and once I can authenticate the gateway, we do all the OAuth flows for you. So what, what happens is, is you'll go in, in the portal and, and you'll actually configure your, your auth- authentication for that Twitter connector in the portal. And once you've done that, we keep the creds stuck away in a, in a private place in the portal. Right. Um, and then calling it mm-hmm. for you is as simple as just writing uh, technically one or two lines of, of uh, C-sharp. When this also, now I throw my IT hat on and go, I don't like the fact that I have to embed credentials to all of these API services in my apps. Yep. So. All these secret keys are going to be stored in your subscription in the portal. And because if you're in the new portal, the you know, portal.azure.com, the Ibiza portal, it supports RBAC, which is role-based access control. I could basically say, hey, I've got one Twitter connector, which is the one that tweets on the on behalf of Microsoft. And I'm going to limit it to three people in the company that can call it. Right. And I've got another Twitter connector, which is on behalf of whoever's calling it, meaning that if Richard calls it, 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 it tweets on behalf of you, Richard. If I call it, it tweets on behalf of me. Um, I can make that available to everybody. I might have another Twitter Twitter connector, which is designed for like the ASP.NET team. And I can limit that to only people in the ASP.NET team can call that one. So nice. as you said, we're giving IT those controls to say, hey, you have all these connections to all these things, but you can control where the credentials are stored. They're not in the applications and you can control who can actually call these things. That's awesome. 
Just a wow. huge amount of potential. The architecture side of this, I think, is really important. We're we're just getting started, but we're we're excited internally. We we think that people are going to like it when they when they see it. Uh, an awesome aspect of these API apps, these all those connectors are, are technically what we call an API app, right? And that's an overloaded term, and I know it's massively overloaded because, like, you know, what is an API app? Well, that could be a web app that returns JSON. Um, in our case. An API app means a few more things. And so I'll explain what the, what these are. First off, I always want to say, if you want to, if you want to write an API app, this is not like traditional 10 years ago, Microsoft, where it's like, Hey, I want to become an API app. So I need to inherit from all these classes and use all these, uh, you know, change my application to look different. No, 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 no. In this world, you can take any.net. PHP, Node, Python, Java app that, that returns JSON, APIs that returns the JSON. If you want to turn it into an API app, you have to add one file to it, which is apiapp.json, uh, before you upload it to our portal and you become an API app. Huh. So this does not require a massive, you know, changing of your application. But let me do talk about how it, how it does change. So let's say you have an API. You've written an API and you want to share it in your company. Well, a benefit of an API app is one of one of the tenets of, of our model is we allow you to to put your API, this means the source code for your API, including the API app.json file, into a package format very similar to NuGet. Um, the benefit of that is a package contains a version. Um, and a package can be put into a marketplace. Mm-hmm. And and so what this allows mm. us to do is when you're in the portal and you're seeing those existing connectors. Well, they're in the public marketplace. We also will allow each organization to have a private marketplace just for themselves. Nice. Wow. Great. So I I could write an API for decoding VINs, VIN numbers, and I could put that into the private portal or the private uh, marketplace for my company. That means any developer in my team that goes and looks at the Azure portal will say, hey, here's a list of all the APIs you can use. Now, Another cool aspect of this, because we packaged it and put it into a marketplace, that allows us to do things like incremental updates. I could build my application and say, hey, I'm going to use the Office 365 connector. And, you know, if there's enough, if there's a newer version that fixes some bugs in that, I just want that new version automatically. And you go click a, click a tab and say, I want auto updates. This is for minor versions up only. This is not something that would, you know, take you from a one to a two. This is you know, Simber kind of stuff. Right. Um, and it means that your application, if the, if, if somebody in your company decides to po- post a new version of the API that you're, you're depending on, or we post a new version of the Office 365 API, um, your application dynamically updates in, in, in real time. Hmm. So the next request coming to your application is going to go, Hey, I'm depending on this connector. Ah, there's a newer version of the connector. We're going to pull it down automatically, provision it. Bam. Uh, there is no IT having to go and, and update all the applications in the, in the org. Uh, they can be pushed dynamically. Um, another cool part of an API app and what makes an API app is metadata. So to be an API app, you have to have either a static list of Swagger metadata and Swagger is a metadata definition format. There's a ton of these things, RAML, uh, Waddle, Swagger is the one that that we saw having the most popularity and the most usage out there in the world. And so we, we, we're currently using it. So you can either have Swagger being uh, just as part of that 
API.json file, it could be statically declared inside of there. Or in the case of like an ASP.NET Web API, we, we automatically are injecting the swashbuckle package, which is a NuGet package that dynamically mm-hmm. walks over your Web API and generates a swagger for you on, on the fly. Nice. The reason swagger is important to us is I was talking about that logic designer before. Well, for that logic designer to know what methods it can call and what what uh, uh, events it can it can fire, it has to find metadata. And so, by having each of the API apps expose that metadata, allows them to be richly used in things like the workflow designer. Nice. Okay. We also took Visual Studio. We 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 shipped as part of this release on Tuesday. We shipped SDK two point five point one for Azure. With that. Uh, we have a new feature in Visual Studio called Auto Rest. And what Auto Rest will do is I go, I'm, I've got my application in Visual Studio and I'm like, Hey, I want to, I want to call that Salesforce connector. How would I do that? Well, you right click on your project and you say, I want to add a, um, Azure API app client. And what that will do is that will then pop a dialogue up and show you a list of all the API apps that are running, um, in your subscription in, the, in in Azure. And you'll select one. And when you select one, we go out to the endpoint for that, that uh, API app, pull down its metadata, and we have a tool, the same tool we use to build the Azure SDKs, that then walks the metadata and generates you a rich client in C Sharp. Wow. Wow, this, wow, wow. Hey, that almost feels light switch-ish. Light switch-ish? Yeah. Maybe ish. Ish, but, but the, the goal here, light switch was trying to be like a closed platform in some ways. And this is trying to say, we don't want to take any control away from you. This is like, you can, you can use as little or as much of this as you want and retain as mm-hmm. much control as you want and hopefully never find the cliff. Right. Not trying to throw light switch under the bus, but, but it was, it was good for building an, an app to a point, And then you had to go do something to get out, you know, to get more control. Right. So obviously app services requires portal.azure.com instead of the, the old portal. Uh, right. Do you have any metrics on how many people are still using the old one versus the new one? And probably more importantly, if you're not using portal.azure.com, is there any reason not to? Is there anything that you can't do just as easily in the new portal that you could do in the old one? There's a lot more functionality in the new portal than there is in the old portal. So, so for example, like an Azure website, now, now web app, the, the, you can, you can turn on a lot more features in the new portal than you can in the older portal. Um, the biggest but what thing about is the other way around. Uh, the, the big, the biggest thing is, uh, there, there are, there are some features like uh, I'll give you an example. Azure Active Directory, you currently configure it in the old portal, not the new, new portal. Um, if you're using uh, an Azure website and you want to set up like a uh, continuous deployment from GitHub, uh, you have to do that in the old portal versus the new portal. You can do Git in the new portal, but that's a local Git, not a, not a Git hosted in like GitHub. Um, so there, there are still some of those, those gaps. Um, but there's a link to make it very easy typically to move back and forth between the two portals. So. Um, and, and I think we'll, we'll continue to provide breadcrumbs. So if there's something that you need to do that's in the old portal, we'll give you a link to the old portal. We as a company are trying as fast as we can to move and move stuff from the old portal to the new portal. The main, the main reason there are two portals is the design of the old portal, um, basically had a, a, it has a series of features that scroll down the left side of the screen. 
And as Azure started growing faster and faster and faster and more services were showing up, it didn't scale. You you can't have this endless scrolling list going on the left side of the screen. And so the uh, information density was was just not designed for all the stuff that we were throwing in the portal. And so the the new portal is trying trying to solve some of those kinds of problems. And and uh the old 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 portal is is very static in its design, meaning that um basically all the data is in that left rail. And if you want to go find stuff, you can either you'll have one note at the very top that shows every single thing you have, which can be overwhelming, or you have that left rail um with all these services that continue to go <laughs> bigger and bigger and bigger. In the new portal, you can actually control your dashboard completely. So you could go say Hey, I know I've got 50 things, but I want these seven or eight things on my screen when I log in. And so you can completely customize, um, you know, the layout of, and what's important to you versus just having a static list of a hundred things. Um, yeah, I feel so, like we could do a show on the new portal and probably not, not even in an hour be able to, to hit everything. Right. Now, I will say that a lot of folks, including myself, when I first did it, I struggled to move from the old portal to the new portal just because we're humans. We hate change, and it, it is different. Dude, you moved my cheese. <laughs> we moved the cheese. <laughs> um, and and so, it, but it, but uh, you know, once you get there, I I think if you after you use it, I I, I decided last November that I was not going to use the old portal anymore except when I had to, and uh, I don't regret that change. Hmm. Yeah, definitely right. an, an interesting set of steps here. And I mean, it's BizTalk, you, you mentioned it right off the bat. And this was one that sort of worried me because BizTalk's always been sort of a strange app, but it seems like it's really been decomposed into the stuff that matters. Uh, and it, uh, besides just the, the whole mashup side of thing and the workflow piece, you still got all these, I'm, I'm just digging into this, underlying communication protocols. I remember BizTalk when it was about EDI, you know, back when EDI was a thing. Yeah, but you're still supporting X12. Like I could actually take an old EDI infrastructure, something I'd be using to say talk to General Motors for parts, and run it in the cloud now. Yes, that's pretty serious, Scott. Like, holy man! Yeah, it's pretty pretty <laughs> cool. I I think it the other way. What if I told you that you could use a workflow designer and bring PHP your existing PHP code with 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 by by adding a single JSON file? <laughs> Seriously, that, that's, you know, I, I come from the other side of BizTalk, which is like, man, it seems like you had to go buy into all this infrastructure to make it work. And I think a new, one of the goals of the new platform is, man, I, by the way, all that old BizTalk functionality, if, if you, if you dig in in the portal, yep. there, a lot of the, the BizTalk connectors exist in there. Some of the transforms and all the, 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 the cool BizTalk stuff is still sitting in there and it's, it's available to use. But as I said, you know, I can write, you know, a simple .NET, a simple PHP, simple Node API, throw in a metadata file, and suddenly I can call it from workflow designers and stuff like that. Uh, and so the, the goal for us was to make the, the barrier to entry so small. Right. Um, but still have all that rich capability there for the people that care about it. So uh, um, it just, just sort of cool. opens the door up for all of this stuff. Just looking at sure all the way does. different ways I could plug things together. And then, you know, of course, because it's hosted in the cloud, you're no longer the one installing the server, you know, the, 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 the server and the services and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just automatic. Well, as I recall, the price for BizTalk server was not trivial. 
Yeah. I don't, I, I, you're out of, out of my league. I, I, I am not in that space. But I, I assume it is not trivial as well. Right. But power by the hour here like this, is, it's going to be a different pricing. You're going to pay for the transactions. Richard, that laugh was much too evil. But, you know, all that stuff together, the API apps, logic apps, mobile apps, and web apps make up app service. And we, we kind of think the API app thing is, is the underpinning thing because web apps can call API apps. Mobile apps can call API apps. Logic apps can call API apps. Um, and so basically it's kind of the underpinning that, uh, the whole system sits on top of. Well, Scott, I know at least, uh, a few thousand people are going to be cheering right now. Um, and I know of these people, uh, when they hear this news and man, I I can't thank you guys enough. You just keep being more and more awesome. And it seems, like I said, it seems like every week there's some new thing coming out of the Azure team that... It just blows our mind. Keep doing it. Speed of the cloud, man. Yeah. All right, Scott, thanks again, and we'll see you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm